0: I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter 6 with me, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, and tonight I'd like to speak to you, continuing in our series about dilemmas and doubtful things, I'd like to speak to you for the next few moments about a biblical philosophy of education and hopefully it'll be a help to you tonight. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, because I believe this is a great place to start, and we will be returning to this verse and taking apart some of these words to understand, understand them better here in just a few moments. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How many of you remember when you were in school? Some of you, it's a faint memory. Some of you say, I remember very well because I'm still in school. I remember when I was in junior high thinking school will never end. I'll be in school for the rest of my life. I'll never get past. And of course... Um, All of the young people will probably groan inwardly when I say this, but as you get older, time accelerates, and you look back on those things and you wonder, why did I ever wish that time away because it passed altogether too quickly? It's true that one of the most important and time-consuming parts of the rearing of our children pertains to their education. From kindergarten to 12th grade and then beyond, if they go for, uh, for a further degree in college and secondary education, just continuing on uh, usually for vocational training in that way, our children will spend thousands and thousands of hours in this process of what we call education. And there's definitely worldview elements that come into this whole idea of what it means to educate a child because, of course, we live in a country that has compulsory laws pertaining to education. In other words, if your child is not in school, uh, there can be definite things that happen in the sense that the government gets involved in that. Children are required to be in school, they're required to go to to classes, and to achieve some level of an education. This is fairly recent. Compulsory education is something that is fairly new in our country. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I look back and I've met more than one elderly person who told me I went to school until the eighth grade. And then I couldn't go to school anymore because... I. I was needed on the family farm, and so after the eighth grade, I stayed home from school and worked the farm like a man, and that was the extent of my education. Now, arguably, if we go back to that time, we could probably point out that an eighth grade education was superior to today's 12th grade education in what they were taught and what they learned, Uh, but I'm just pointing out to you that compulsory education laws have not been around that long. Now, we all want our children to be well-fitted for life, and we want them to be successful. But the question that we're considering tonight is, do we have a biblical outlook on education? Usually, when we think of education, we think of reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's called the three R's, which makes me think that whoever called it that didn't get much of an education. Science, history, language, arts, math, other subjects that are learned in the classroom come to mind. And we think of education of, I want my child to get an education. It's not a bad goal. It's certainly profitable for our children to learn to read, to write, to do math, and to understand basic facts of science and history. As we think about education, there's three basic approaches to achieving this, what we'll call classical education, the the learning that is required uh, of a child so that by the time they get to 12th grade, uh, hopefully around the time they're 17 or 18 years old, they're going to graduate from high school and they're going to have some form of an education. Three primary ways to achieve this goal. Of course, there's public education. We're all familiar with public education. There's uh, there's elementary schools and middle schools and high schools sprinkled throughout all of our communities. We pay tax dollars to support that public education and to underwrite that. And of course, uh, that pertains to the what most people think of when you say you're going to school, they think, Oh, you must be, in this, in this school district, you must be at Emmaus High, and, or you must be over at the middle school, over here. And we've, we frequently, um, and, you know, because we homeschool, sometimes our children are out with us during the day uh, at different times, and someone will say, are you off school today? And uh, it's complicated, all right? So uh, <laughs> talk about that. Usually we say, no, we homeschool, and sometimes we run on a different schedule, And all of that is fine. So there's public education. More recently, especially during the 1970s, Christian education became very popular. A lot of churches started Christian schools. And this was an answer to what many Christians believe to be a crisis in public education. I'll point out that I think that crisis has not gotten better, but it's gotten worse And so many churches had the burden to start Christian schools. They went through the process of being licensed in their states as educational facilities, private schools, and began to offer an education for the children of parents who wanted to put their children through an education program that was Bible-centered. And of course, we still have many Christian schools around today, although I'll point out to you that in some some places, the enrollment in Christian schools is declining seriously. And then the third approach, which we must consider, is called homeschooling. And this is the idea of educating your child at home. The parents take the responsibility for that education. They teach their children in the home. And, uh, of course, there's a lot that's involved in that. Homeschooling uh, was was actually the normal way of getting an education for a long time in our country. and then public education became very popular. and eventually homeschooling was almost unheard of and in many states was illegal. And had uh, in order for homeschooling to become a possibility, there were many uh, groups that went to legislatures and began legis- uh, again pressing legislators for passing laws to make it legal for parents to school their children at home. Different states have different regulations for homeschooling. Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania, happens to be one of the strictest states in regards to homeschooling laws and oversight of of children and families that choose to homeschool. And there's a lot of things that homeschooling families must do in order to be classified as homeschoolers. I'll point this out to you. Homeschooling is not just something that Christians do. In fact, in this district, the uh, East Penn School District, where we currently are, uh, we were surprised when we began interacting with the school district as homeschoolers that there are a multitude of homeschoolers who are in this district. Not all of them are religious, and especially since COVID a lot of families, an increasing number of families have chosen to begin homeschooling their children for one reason or another. All right, so as we think about these three approaches to education, tonight we want to consider some biblical principles to help us as we try to make the right decisions about education. Hopefully this will be informative and helpful for you tonight. The first thing, the first biblical fact that we must understand is that the responsibility of educating children is given to parents by God. It is the parents' responsibility that their children would be educated. The scripture here tells us that it is the father's job to bring up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that, that word fathers refers to the parents, uh, those who, who are, are tasked with this job of bringing up their children. The, word, the phrase, bring them up, means to nourish your children. Uh, it means to bring them to a place of full maturity with a spirit of cherishing them. That's what the word or the phrase actually refers to. So it's very important for us to understand this evening, right from the outset, that the job of educating children is given to the parents, not to a group of educators, and definitely not to the government. It is given to the parents. That is their responsibility. This is not only a responsibility of parents, but it's also a right of parents. It is something that they ought to do, and it's something uh, that they are blessed to do. The word nurture that's used in our text here in verse number 4 refers to the whole training and education of a child. That's what the word actually means. It's the whole training and education of a child. Now, we're going to notice something about education in the Bible in just a moment, but understand that it is clear in Ephesians 6, 4, that parents, fathers are given the responsibility to make sure that their children are brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There is today a concerted effort in the public education arena to exclude parents from the instruction of their children. There are many educators who claim that the parents need to leave this job to the professionals. They say parents don't actually understand what needs to be done, and it's the professionals, the ones who are trained in this, who really ought to, ought to be tasked with this. The parents should have no say. The parents should really not even need to know what's going on. So when you start talking like that to me about something you're going to do with my kids, uh, that I, I start getting really, really upset because there's something wrong with that approach. Uh, professionals, in this sense, do not really know better than parents. Now, they may be specially trained in the area of education. They may have some special tools that parents do not have. But unless the parents are involved in this process, the professionals are going to miss a whole lot of things in those children's lives. And I propose to you that there's actually something else going on when in the public education arena they are trying to exclude parents from this process. And sadly, many parents are gladly surrendering this to the public education arena and they don't ask questions. They they really don't care what's going on there as long as they don't need to worry about the kids between certain hours of the day. It's also true that many parents have gladly surrendered this responsibility to someone else because they feel ill-equipped or unprepared to meet their child's need for instruction and growth. Maybe Uh, They feel like, well, I didn't do very well when I was in school. I really struggled with learning and I'm just not equipped to be able to teach my child and I want them to do better than me. It's important to understand that the education that a child receives needs to involve the whole person. The educational system, especially in the public education arena, tends to focus on the intellect of the individual. And certainly, the development of the intellect is important, but the whole person is made up of more than the intellect. As a parent, you ought to be concerned about not just your child's intellectual growth, but also their emotional and spiritual growth. And clearly, in the Bible, it is the parent's job to oversee this education. It is the parent's responsibility to make sure that their child is learning You can't say, well, I sent them to school and they're just not learning there. If they're not learning there, then it's your responsibility to figure out what's going on. It's your responsibility to make sure that their needs are being met. As we think about this, this responsibility of educating children being given to the the parents, I also want to point out to you that there is a temptation And this temptation, I think, comes about, especially in our generation, because of all the different choices pertaining to education. Have you ever thought about all the different approaches to education? There's the the unschooling movement. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's the idea that um, children learn best in an unstructured environment, and you should just really let... Education take its own way and let them explore their interests and do whatever they want and and so unschooling you know just kind of like and of course you run into some problems when you get to evaluations when you've been unschooling. Uh, then there is the the Montessori school and there's the arts schools and there's the specialty schools and the honors programs and there's this way of doing it and that way of doing it and if you're at all involved in trying to figure out what is going to to be the right fit for your child, it can be maddening. Because you think, what's going to be the perfect fit for my kid? How am I going to make sure that they get the very best education and that everything is perfect for them? How many of you homeschool moms go crazy when it's time to choose curriculum? With so many choices, you could think, well, Ah, I'm just struggling to find that perfect fit. And if I could find the perfect fit, then my, my child would excel. Here's the problem with that. Every child benefits from conforming to a system that they don't necessarily like. So part of education is not just figuring out how your child learns and matching them up with the perfect educational system. Part of their education, because we're talking about the whole child, has to do with teaching them self-discipline. Self-discipline results from doing things that you don't particularly care to do. But the learning of self-discipline will greatly benefit a person for the rest of their life. Not many little boys like sitting still in class. But there are some benefits to learning the self-discipline of keeping your body still while it is time for class. And yes, your son can learn to sit still. It is possible. It may not be the optimal way for them to learn. Uh, They may be a kinesthetic learner, and they may benefit from movement and all that sort of thing, but they will definitely benefit from learning self-discipline. Every parent has the responsibility to teach their children the necessity for self-discipline and refusing the whims of the flesh. As a parent, part of my job is to make sure that my children are growing up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition in our text involves rebuke, and the word nurture involves chastisement or discipline. This means that as a parent, there is an element of discipline that's involved in education And it is the parent's responsibility to make sure that this is taking place. If you're sending your children to a school hoping that someone there will teach them discipline because you cannot, that's probably not going to work out. It is primarily your job as a parent to teach your child to be disciplined. It is the responsibility of the parents to educate their child. A second biblical truth, which we cannot ignore, is that the most important area of educational development is in the spiritual realm. The most important area of educational development is in the spiritual realm. Now tonight, our country and culture places a high premium on intellectual development, which could lead to worldly and financial success. Many parents want their children to become respected members of society. They want their children to hold jobs and careers that will bring prestige and wealth. And so they, they hope for their child, if I could just get them plugged into the right program and they could get good grades and they could make good connections and get to the next level and finally they could get to a place maybe with an advanced degree and then they could land that job and then uh, they, will, they will really have it made for life. Can I point out to you how deceptive that goal is as a parent? Because for many parents, the way that we are parenting is from a position of pride. We see our children as an advertisement of how well we are doing as an individual ourselves. And if our children get to a place where they are successful, we can say, look at my kid, look how good they did, aren't I a great parent? It's a temptation that we have to watch out for. It's not a good idea to parent from this position because I guarantee that at some point your children are going to humble you, especially if you are getting your respect from their accomplishments. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7. I want to dwell on this thought that the most important area of education is spiritual development. Proverbs chapter 1 verse number 7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What kind of an education can someone get if the fear of the Lord is excluded? They may learn some things about the world as it is. They may get some facts and figures. They may excel in the language arts, but the truth is, if they never develop the fear of the Lord, they haven't even begun to know anything. They will profess themselves to be wise and become fools. And sadly, this is the superstructure that holds up our current public education system. In that system, the fear of the Lord is purposely excluded. It is not possible to speak about the Lord and respect for the Creator and respect for the laws of God. These are things that are off-limits to be discussed in the public education realm. And so we see right away that there's a problem in that realm. Now, we should be highly concerned that our children are developing spiritually and not just academically. Jesus asked... What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I ask you parents, have we been successful parents if we cared for our child's intellectual growth but neglected their soul? This is going to involve teaching them and challenging them to have a real relationship with God. And it will also involve an emphasis on character. In other words, there's much more to education than making sure that your child meets the educational criteria that the state sets. I sincerely doubt if anybody down at the school district who's monitoring your homeschool progress cares about your Bible class or your progress in your relationship with God. But according to the Bible, this is where education begins and this is everything about education. In fact... I dare you to look in the Bible and find an example of education that is excluded from a right relationship with God. Except for, and you will, the only thing you'll find, is those who were blatantly heathen and rejected God. And so they excluded. For instance, Daniel and his three friends in Babylon were educated in the things of the world, in the ways of the world... But they were excluded. Their names were changed to take away the evidences of their relationship with God. Thankfully, uh, they couldn't take away their relationship with God because that was real. So we should be highly concerned that our children are developing spiritually. In other words, if I have to choose between my children getting an excellent classical education and my children having a relationship with God, I will choose every time for them to have a relationship with God. I would much rather that my children know God personally and truly. I would much rather that they're in an environment where that is encouraged than I would that they uh, go on to some kind of a high-level master's or doctorate, uh, some sort of an educational accomplishment. That really matters little to me if they don't have a relationship with God. I also want to make sure that my children are receiving an emphasis on character There is more to life than figuring out how to be at the top of the class. There is more to life than getting to the place where you excel financially and in your career. In fact, there are many people who reach the pinnacle of that place without character. And they cause great destruction on the way. Because of this, you and I may find that certain venues of education can become an impediment for our child's spiritual development. We must weigh this out carefully. For instance, many parents at one time felt that they should keep their children in the public school system so that they could be missionaries. They believed that they could teach their children uh, as young as kindergarten, first, second, third grade to be missionaries in the public school system and be witnesses for Christ and thus to change the system. And ask you an honest question. How did that work out? As we look at the system as it is today, what was, the, what was the result of that? Well, truthfully, countless Christian children were turned away from their faith. Instead of them influencing the system, they were drawn away from the Lord, and that is a great tragedy. Are children really equipped and prepared to be evangelists in the face of an aggressively godless system of education? I don't believe so. Now, you understand that I think we need to be missionaries and we need to go with the gospel, but it's unlikely that your 10-year-old is ready to do that. They're in a place where they're very impressionable and especially in the face of an adult who has been carefully trained in how to change the mind of a child to come into conformity with the worldview that is acceptable in our culture, they will be hard-pressed to stand their ground. Unfortunately, even many Christian schools may place your child for hours every day under the influence of peers and or faculty that do not hold your values and doctrinal beliefs. I'm saying to you, be very, very careful the choices that you make. When you put your children in an environment for hours and hours every day, that is going to be a primary influence upon their heart. You should carefully consider your child's spiritual development and how that can be best facilitated and improved. How can I best meet my child's spiritual needs? So instead of thinking, how can I best meet my child's educational needs? And then we'll figure out how to plug the gaps with the spiritual side. Let's think about how can I meet my child's spiritual needs and then figure out how the classical education fits into that. Does that make sense? In other words, that should be the priority. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So the most important area of educational development is actually in the spiritual realm. A third principle from the Bible that we should consider as we think about education is that though the responsibility is given to the parents, there will always be a need for other instructors. And this is where the homeschooling movement gets astray. At times, because sometimes homeschoolers begin to think our family, that's enough. We have our family. We have mom, dad, children. We're doing what God told us to do. And, and this is enough. This is exactly what we need. But the truth is that God has designed us to need more instructors. He's designed us in such a way. And you say, oh, wait a second, pastor. Are you saying that God's design isn't sufficient? No, I'm telling you that God's design is beyond the family. In other words, God is the one who designed the family, but God is also the one who designed the church. And the church is a place of instruction. If you study it out in the scriptures, you'll find that the church is a place where teaching ought to take place. In fact, it's a primary part of the commission that God gives to the New Testament church teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it is the purpose of a church. It is the function of a church to provide for spiritual education. It is the purpose of a church to come alongside parents to help them in the discipleship of their children. It's not God's will for your family to be walled off from all other influences that could exist. If that was the best way to do things, then we should all quit our jobs, sell whatever property we have, move as far away as we can from civilization, and live in a place where we never talk to anyone. But that's not what God has called us to do. As parents, God has called us to involve other instructors in our child's life. Now, when we think about the mission or the function of a church, we understand that teaching them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded does not have an age limit on it. That's not something just for children or just for adults or just for the elderly. It's not just for uh, those who are single, those who are unmarried. No, actually, this is a main component for every age level that is represented in a New Testament church. And this is why we do our best in our children's ministries to make sure that it's a time of biblical instruction, though obviously age-appropriate. Uh, you know, you'll know, you have a hard time with the two-year-olds preaching them the same kind of message that they're going to receive in the, in the auditorium with the adults. They can certainly sit still, but they're probably not going to digest it very well. So we want it to be age-appropriate, but we want to make sure that that class is not just entertainment or fun. It's a time for instruction in the things of the Lord. Incidentally, this is also why we have a Christian school, and it is ours, our responsibility to do our best to help the families of this church in this arena, this area of education. God blessed our church with the opportunity to have a Christian academy a number of years ago. I was actually in the second graduating class of our academy. And so I was blessed from the time that we moved here, I was in sixth grade, uh, to go through our Christian academy and eventually to graduate in twelfth grade from Emmaus Baptist Academy. Mr. Anger was one of my teachers, and sometimes I didn't like him very much. (laughs) But of course, we've seen some changes, haven't we? We've seen some things that have that have begun to be a little different. I think at that time in our church, the vast majority of our families sent their children to our academy. Uh, there were a few that went to some nearby Christian schools and a handful that sent their children to public schools. I don't know that there were any homeschoolers at that time in our church. It was just something that uh, was not really heard of in this church or in this area and of course that was something that began to be a part of our ministry. There were families that came in and really felt that God wanted them to school their children at home and what we've observed in these years now you know we fast forward to 2023 is that the balance is now at the point where probably more than half of our families in our church are schooling their children at home. And then there are others who are sending their children to our academy and some who are sending their children to other places to school. But as a church, and especially this ministry of our church, it's our, it's our job and our responsibility to do our best to help all of the families of our church as much as we can. And so uh, we we have been for several years and we're really uh, trying to shift and help people understand that we're here to help the homeschool families. One thing that I appreciate about the ministry of this church is that we have worked very hard to not have a competition between the homeschoolers and EBA. We don't want to have that competition. There's a, there's a need for the school ministry, and I believe it's also a blessing and a wonderful thing if families choose to homeschool their children. I think Most of you know that we chose to homeschool our children. That has been our choice. And by God's grace, if God allows us, that will continue to be our choice if God allows us to do that. But we also want to make sure that you understand that Emmaus Baptist Academy is here to be a help to your families. And so there's a lot of opportunities to be involved in that ministry, to be a part of that. And Brother Anger, of course, has a heart for homeschoolers and a lot of uh, very important knowledge for homeschool families who need to navigate the laws of our state. And so he's a great help in that area. And you should take advantage of that if you can. If you need some help, I'm sure he'd be glad to help you. We also have made our school available as a a homeschool co-op or cooperative for those families who would like to take advantage of some of the extracurricular activities as well as some of the classes that may be a little more challenging for you to teach at home. And there may be some expertise here. And so this is what I'm saying. There's a need to involve other instructors. What you find as a parent, especially as a homeschool parent, is that you eventually run up against some things that you just don't know much about. And unless you're going to take a college-level course and learn about it, in order to teach your child, which is certainly a possibility if you have the time to do that. But eventually, you're going to come to some things that you are not able to teach your child. That's a humbling thing, isn't it? To say, this isn't something that I understand well enough to teach my child. And yet, we want you to know that there are resources that are available for you to be able to take advantage of. Now, when we think about Uh, That being the ministry of our Christian school and trying to uh, come behind and help the, the different families of our church. And then we're thinking about this idea of involving other instructors. How do we involve other instructors? Well, I think as a parent, you would be wise to carefully choose who is going to have a positive influence on your child. Who are you going to allow your child to be shaped by? Their words, their actions, and their worldview are going to have an impact and an effect on your child. Listen to me carefully. Very few children benefit from strong peer relationships at the expense of strong parental relationships. It's not usually a good idea. And yet, in our world, it's most important to many people to make sure that their children have friends. Choose those friends carefully. Not every person is a good match for your child. Now, we'll also find that adult church members may find many opportunities to purposely invest in the life of young people in our church. Mentoring and discipleship is often appreciated and valued by the parents of those young people. It's a blessing when older adults in the church pay attention to the young people, and purposely invest in their lives. And I can look back and see over the years how God has blessed that and how different people have had an impact in my own life. Uh, Brother Barry Woodring was a close friend of mine. Of course, he was uh, older than my father. And yet, uh, we had a, a very close friendship and we spent time together and I appreciate still his mentorship in my life. Brother Ken Barr, who many of you know, came alongside many of our young men when he was able and he would mentor them and challenge them. He would pray with them and encourage them and we're thankful for his influence, especially those who are in my generation and perhaps a little younger who have benefited from that. Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 shows this model taking place in a church. You can write it down and look at it later. It's the idea of younger women teaching or older women teaching the younger women uh, about their responsibilities in the home. And God's model is that mentoring and discipleship would take place in the New Testament church. Now we believe, and Brother Anger and I have talked about this extensively, we believe that our academy fills a need in this arena of education. It's not our desire to come along and take over the education of your children, but rather it is to come alongside and to help you fulfill the responsibility that God has given you. For instance, I will be teaching this year the 11th and 12th graders in a worldviews class. I've taught that class every other year for the last, well, I can't remember how many times I've taught it, But it is a wonderful time together as we learn about what's going on in the world and how do we digest this biblically? How do we analyze this? And it gives me an opportunity to interact with your young people and to challenge their thinking and hopefully prepare them for the world that they're about ready to step into. And that's a delight of mine. Now, You can choose whether or not to send your children. If you're a homeschool family, that may not work for you. I understand that. I'm not offended if you can't come, but it's my privilege to be able to have a part in many of our young people's lives in this way. We want to come alongside and help you fulfill the responsibility that God has given you. Whether you're a homeschooler or whether you send your children here, to our school, or whether you choose to send your child somewhere else to school, we still want to have a part in discipling your children. You'll find that as your children get older, there may be people who can teach your child a skill that you cannot. As they're becoming adults, you'll likely need to help them find instruction for development in their chosen career. How are they going to go beyond high school? What are they going to do after they graduate? These are decisions that our family is in the midst of with our two oldest children. As we're trying to discern, what is the path forward? Where does God want them to go? I just want to point out to you that we ought to be careful not to downplay the possibility of non-college vocational training. It is something that can be very valuable. It is something that can save a lot of money. And it can also help to keep your children from being subjected to what is now moving into the higher education realm with this very... It's just an aggressive worldview. It is an attempt to change the way your young people think... And when you get them into some of these classes, particularly like psychology class and sociology class, both of which are first year general education classes in the first year out of high school, these are classes that your child is going to take. And in our worldviews class, we talk about both of these and some of the things that they're going to encounter because I remember when I took sociology 101 and I remember some of the things that were taught to me that I had to analyze scripturally and so we want to help our children navigate that. This doesn't mean that it's impossible for a child to go to college. Of course, some of them will. They'll need to in order to pursue the career that they believe God wants them to pursue. But you need to be careful to prepare your child for the atheistic mindset they're going to encounter in the university system if they choose to go that way. You'll also find as your children get older that mentorship relationships will become more and more Important. Your child, who is now no longer a child but becoming a young adult, is going to benefit from having many godly counselors. And somewhere you have to make that shift from, we do everything as a family, to saying, there's some other people that you could benefit from having a relationship with. And I encourage you as parents to be thinking about that when your children are younger rather than waiting until they're in their second year of college and trying to figure out how to get them connected. You want to be thinking about, who can my child benefit from having a relationship with? I've noticed that it's helpful for children to be exposed to other authorities that they must relate to and answer to. For instance, we find it to be incredibly helpful for our children to come over to to EBA and take a class with a teacher that is not their parent. That's because they're going to be under the authority of that teacher. They're going to need to answer to Mr. Anger or Mrs. Star or whoever it is that is teaching that class. They're going to have to conform to the standards of that class and answer to that teacher and figure out what that teacher's expectations are. A lot of homeschoolers have the idea that they can just arrange everything, fix it for their child all the way through, right up through college. Except... When you get to real life, it doesn't work that way. You're going to have to answer to some authorities. You're going to have to work through that system. It's something you've got to give thought to. And what you find is that your child, if you'll allow them to work through the difficulties of that, they will be able to develop some humility. They'll be able to develop some humility. I'll never forget when I went to college and one of my English professor the first time I wrote a paper in College English 1, and I turned it in, and let's just say I was used to getting good grades. I, I got good grades all through high school, and English was one of my strong classes. I was very good at it, and so I figured this is easy. This is a piece of cake, this class. I mean, half the time he talked about what he was doing on the weekend and everything, so whatever. So I wrote my paper, turned it in, and I'll never forget when it came back. And I've never seen that much red on any paper that I ever turned in. And in in his case, he had a very strong opinion about the Oxford comma. And evidently, I did not use the Oxford comma the way that he was taught that the Oxford comma should be used. And so I got a C on my first college English paper because primarily I used the comma wrong. Now, you know what? That was good for me because I had to learn how to meet the expectations of a professor over whom I had no control. I had to figure out how what were his expectations? What did he want? And I eventually figured out what he wanted and we got along fine after that. But it is good for children to develop humility. It's not good for parents to rush in at their children's defense. And come and fix everything with teachers and say, this isn't fair. You've got to change this. Why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing it that way? It's good for your children to learn how to deal with authority and how to work through things. You know, it's even good for your children to be under authorities that they don't like. And you say, well, I'm always going to try to find somebody that they like. That's not necessarily wise. As adults... Are you always under people in authority that you like, that you get along with? Probably not. You probably have to learn how to deal with people that rub you the wrong way and happen to be your boss. So, what are you going to do? How are you going to teach your children how to work through those things? Now, of course, as we think about this need to involve other instructors, you and I should be preparing our young people to influence others for the gospel and righteousness. Our goal is that as they grow and mature, that they'll get to the place that rather than being influenced, they will be the ones who are influencing. They are the ones who know where they stand. They know what they believe. They know what their principles are. And they're bold enough to share with others their faith. So that when they go out into the world, instead of being swayed by the world... They themselves are salt and light. But we're going to have to teach them how to do that. And you don't generally teach them to do that by throwing them in the deep end. You're going to have to disciple them along the way and help them to learn what it is to stand for the things that they believe in. So there's a need to involve other instructors. Are you with me still? The responsibility of educating children is given to parents Whether you send your children to a school or whether you educate them at home, it is your responsibility that your children are educated with a whole education. The most important area of development is in the spiritual realm. There will be a need to involve other instructors. Number four, I'd like to finish with this quickly. God has a different measurement of success. To many parents, success is... Did my child graduate magna cum laude? Did my child have a 4.0? Did my child go on for an advanced degree? Did my child go to a career in which they excelled? And did they end up with a high powered job where they were making a lot of money? Did they get to the place where they were an entrepreneur and other people looked at them with respect? Of course, in our society, did they get to the place where they got a job that everybody looks at and says, now that is success? I remind you tonight, God has a different measurement of success. In fact, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, God closely links success as he sees it to the word of God. And he tells us, that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I believe biblically success is finding God's will and doing it. We want our children to pursue and complete God's will for their lives. This may mean that they're not going to go on to achieve the laurels of the world. They may not get an Ivy League education. They may never get a graduate degree. They may not even get a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree. But we should be content with our children doing the will of God. Your child may never get a high-powered career. They, They may never be seen by other people in the world as some kind of a stunning success. But if in God's eyes they are a success, that is real success. As we think about education, we say, what is the goal? What do we want to achieve? Where are we going with this? Well, ultimately, if you give your child a passion for God, a thirst for learning, and a desire to achieve God's will, they will be well-suited for life. No matter what they end up doing, you'll be glad that they have pursued God's will for their life. At the end of life, you and I will find that degrees, accomplishments, dollars in the bank, respect from the world are all quite meaningless. But what really matters is the smile of our God. God has a different measurement of success. So let's make sure that we are applying that measurement even in this area of the education of our children. So I ask you to consider, as you weigh this out, of course, here we are at the beginning of August. Uh, Some of our homeschool families have already begun their journey for this year, and pretty soon it's going to be time for Emmaus Baptist Academy to have their first day of class, and and the school year is going to be getting kicked off, and uh, the Obviously, we're coming up on the time when all of the public school districts are starting. As you're thinking about your child's education, I want you to try to think about it biblically and just ask yourself, do an evaluation. Are we on the right track? Are we, are we headed the direction that God wants us to head? Many of you are here in the auditorium. You say, I'm long past this. My kids are graduated. Whew, I don't have to look at any more report cards. Don't have to do any more late homework assignments. Sit there and keep my child awake to get their work done before the next day. I'm so glad those days are over. But what an opportunity you have. As older adults in our church, what a privilege you have to be able to look around and invest in the lives of the young people that God has given to us. Just recently, someone was visiting from another state in our services. And he looked at me and he said, you have a lot of kids here. And we do. We're blessed. God has been good to us. He's given us many young people. Those young people bring joy and vitality, and yes, a few messes to the church property. But what an opportunity for those of us who are a little farther down the road of life to be able to look around and see who we can invest in and ask God to give us the opportunity to be able to help these young people develop a passion for God, a real relationship with Him, a thirst for following after the will of God. And if we can If we can input that into the lives of these young people and see them go on.